Hi, my name is James Ramos. I am a licensed general contractor at Ramos Design Build. While my core business and expertise is construction and development, I own several businesses in two other arenas, real estate, including sales, finance, and insurance, and construction product companies like cabinetry, flooring, and interior design firm that creates jaw-dropping impressions when someone walks through the door. These three areas allow me to be a better builder and solely focused on luxury homes valued at over $1 million. We service every facet along the residential home journey. Buy, sell, design, build, finance, furnish, and maintain. I have won 10 National Aurora Awards for standout kitchen and bath design and build projects. And the Ramos family name is synonymous with thousands of successful residential and commercial construction projects in the Southeast United States since 1956. Let Ramos Design Build help you with the home of your dreams today. Call 813-259-1111 or go to RamosDesignBuild.com. Let me help you make your dream a reality. The real estate market is open. Ramos Design Build, the Tampa Bay's premier construction company. This is a program where the real estate experts are live. Whether buying, selling, building, or designing, Ramos has the answers. Now, here's the area's best resource for all things real estate, James Ramos. Welcome back to a new edition of the Move With Me program with James Ramos of jamesramos.com and Ramos Design in Build. You know, James, it's it's amazing what you're seeing taking place in the market right now. I mean, things are just hot and heavy. And when it moves into a direction, it's almost like to the point where it's so competitive in areas of the city of Tampa that if you don't list or make an offer, I guess I should say, on a listing that you come across immediately, you're not gonna get that property. I mean, the properties, the properties around uh, Tampa are so hot right now, they're getting multiple offers, they're getting over ask. I mean, how do you approach that as a buyer? Well, the metric that we look at is, is inventory. So typically, if you can take a look at how many properties sell in a month, and then you look at the inventory, you can actually divide divide the two and figure out how many months of supply. And we're at the lowest months of supply, even pre-recession. Yeah. So like less than three months. Yeah. And it all depends on the price point and things. But in general, you know, South Tampa is less than, I think, less than two months of yeah. supply. So the issues are more than just um, the buyer having a problem, you know, finding a home, or but it also spans into the industry. You know, real estate agents have less property to list um, and there's less product to show, you know, their potential buyers. But how do you overt that? I mean, from, a, you know, speaking as it relates to a buyer, the buyers need to be more prepared. You know, they need yeah. to put their hat on and say, if I was the seller and I was in their situation and I made this offer to them, are they going to want to accept it if I was them? And a lot of times, you know, if you're not buttoned up as it relates to your mortgage, pre-qualification letters or getting your mortgage company or your bank to write those letters, like, you know, it doesn't need to be a particular property. It's just like, hey, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so approved for a $300,000 mortgage, um, yeah. you know, things like that. That's the basics. Yeah. So not having a pre-qualification letter or just getting pre-qualified and they can always burn out these letters in like 30 minutes yeah. if you need it. But um, that's the first step. Yeah. You know, number one. And number two is just to really be a student of the game. And I mentioned that in previous shows. I mean, you need to use your resources, whether it's working with your agent and also doing the things on your own. So making sure that the agent has you set up an MLS so you get the listings that are popped, you know, that are posted at any given time in the neighborhood. So try to narrow down your neighborhood, you know, really get a good idea as far as what the value is. Because, yeah. you know, you don't want to have that discussion once you 
find the home. You're yeah. like, let's let me think about it over the course of the next week. You know, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that was something that a buddy of mine's dealing with right now. He's like, uh, we're basically making offers on houses we barely even like because we we're, we're so focused on location that we're making offers on houses we barely even like, just trying to get something because every time we come across a house we do like or a house that we somewhat like, you know, there's four or five offers on it within 24 hours, basically before it even hits the market, and, and they're asking for best and final, which is another. So if you are uh, making an offer on a house, and there's going to be multiple offers on it because this, the city of Tampa is just that hot right now. Um, how do you decide what your best and final is if you want the house, if you're somewhat interested in the house? How do you how do you decide how much to put in there with with trying to mitigate the fact that you don't want to be negotiating against yourself? Well, the way I look at it is is the more planning that you have, the more and I call it strategy. The more strategy that you've actually spent the time with. And a good agent can walk you through that. The more you know, and the more educated you are when you make that that purchase. And you have to look at it from a standpoint of value. Is it a good value? And a lot of times people don't really understand what a good value is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I go back to what a typical appraiser does. So an appraiser looks backwards, always. Okay, so they look now when you go buy a home, you get a mortgage, the mortgage company contacts a few appraisers, they pick the lowest one, you know, as far as the, the fee and they come up with an appraisal. Well, that appraisal looks at the current value today and they look backwards. And what I mean by that is, is they get six months of comparables that are comparable to your home in that particular neighborhood or in that vicinity and they give a value to it. And all the bank cares about is that they're giving a loan at a percentage of the value and they want to make sure that they're protected So buyers end up leaning on that type of appraisal, right? So the same methodology is, but you have to add in what's ahead of you too. So the reality is, is that there could have been three or four homes that have sold in the past six months that were at a great value Mm -hmm. and you just didn't have the opportunity to buy them. Maybe you weren't looking, maybe you couldn't afford them. Maybe you came in, you know, two days ago and they were sold three months ago, right? So at that point you have to realize like, okay, that was the value three months, four or five, six months ago. And then today, what are you looking at? Yeah. You know, so the inventory could be a lot lower, you know, so maybe you picked the car, you know, the house that was in number four position. Well, one, two, and three just got sold. So even though you're spending $10,000 more, on average for that particular home, it's the only thing that you have to pick from. So it's the number one, you know, house. If you were to, you know, analogize it with a, with a car race, you know, you, that house would be in pole position. It would be the number It's the next house that's going to sell. So, you know, it's a little bit about looking backwards. So a shorter period of time, you know, three, six months, and depending on how fast the, the properties are moving, you shorten that window. Yeah. You know, if it's a very unique property, you know, maybe it's on a golf course or it's on open Bay or something like that. You open up, you know, your time frame, you know, cause there's lesser homes that are selling in that, in that price range, let's say, and you open up the neighborhoods. Meaning if you're buying something on Bayshore Boulevard and it's on the water, you may want to look at other homes that are on the water. It could be off of West shore. It could be on Davis Island. It could be Harbor Island, even though they're different neighborhoods, mm-hmm. they're all in South Tampa and they're all somewhat similar. Yeah. You know, so I would shorten the window two to three months to answer your question. And I would shorten that neighborhood, you know, so don't pull comps from, you know, various other neighborhoods unless it's a very unique piece of property and then look and see what's in front of you. Cause that's what the seller 
doesn't really know. Yeah. So the buyer always has the upper hand for the most part. You know, even though they say it's a seller's market, the buyer really, you know, has the upper hand because they're the ones who are walking in all these homes. Yeah. So they know, you know, what that value is. And the faster you can have that strategy set up and a good game plan, the faster you're going to be able to react and make offers. Yeah. You know, so you don't really have to sit and talk about it over the course of a week. What is there to talk about? This yeah. is the best property came on the market. We got to do this, that or the other to it. Make the offer. And then typically, you know, you're going to have a window of time to yeah. to do your due diligence. You know, it's really funny because my friend was telling me that uh, he went from basically saying, give me a week to think about it, to give me a couple of days to think about <laughs> it, to let me sleep on it, to just writing an offer the moment he walked into a house because he said all of the other strategies he put into place, he lost the place. Just it was it wasn't even wasn't even close. But I, I was thinking about you mentioned the value there and I was thinking about this. Um, you know, they always talk about putting together boxes, you know, boxes, boxes, boxes. So if, if James Ramos is going out there and looking for a property and he's looking to get the best value for his money, uh, what boxes, what, what are your top, what, what top five boxes do you have that you put up there? I mean, because you, you hear people like, I was talking to him, like, my wife really thinks it's important to have at least a two-car garage. And I was like, okay, I don't know if that, you know, resale down the road. I don't know if that helps you down the road. So if you're putting together your top five boxes of uh, you know, big time value buys. What, what are the top things that you're looking for in a place? Well, first off, I would give before you do the box, I would look at your horizon. For example, you know, are you going to are you expecting to buy a home that you're going to be there for the next 20, 30 years? Or is it something as a stopgap to know that your family's going to grow? You know, so I think that's really important. You know, so if you say, look, we want something that's going to fit us for the next five years versus something that could be the house of our future. And even though everybody wants to buy a house that's for, you know, until they, you know, grow old and gray, um, it's always important to delineate your term and your horizon. But as far as the way I look at it, because I'm in this business, I look at location, you know, and then there's that compromise there where you're like, okay, I want this location and I want to be in this school district. I want to be in this neighborhood because of, you know, maybe it has sidewalks or maybe it's close to something that's fun. Maybe it's close to a park or close to the water or close to, you know, a golf course or close to restaurants. Um, and then there's that compromise where you're like, if I live in the neighborhood that I really want, I'm not going to be able to have a garage, mm -hmm. you know, or I'm not going to have the ability to have an open kitchen to my family room and things like that. And we're going to, and it's, and it ends up costing more. So when you have a situations like, you know, when you have a situation like that, you have to put the value on what those upgrades are going to be. So if you found this home, as an example, if you found this home and it's in the neighborhood that you like and your price point is 300 grand and it's 300 grand, yet it doesn't have three out of the five things that you really want. You know, mm -hmm. let's say you wanted a two car garage, you wanted an updated kitchen and you wanted a pool maybe, and it doesn't have those three things. That house is not 300,000. Yeah. The, the house is 450 or yeah. whatever, you know, you got to put a value to it. So, so you can't, you know like confuse yourself into making a decision just because it hits the number one box. Yeah. But typically the number one box for me is location and then it's the amenities in the house. Mm -hmm. Well, why? Well, actually we'll get to why it's the amenities is number two. Then we'll get to your three, four and five. You're listening to the uh, move me program with James Ramos of Ramos design and build James Ramos.com every Sunday at 11 a.m. We'll continue this conversation on everything you need to know about real estate construction, building, custom design, so on and so forth.
So continue our conversation here with James Ramos. Now, you mentioned location being your number one box for best value buy when it comes to your top five value buys for a house. Then you said amenities. Well, why, why are amenities the uh, um, number two top most important to you? Well, amenities, you know, could mean, you know, a larger master bedroom, for example, or um, perhaps a master bedroom that's split from the, you know, your kids' bedrooms. So it could be across the house or it could be, you know, you need to have a master bedroom on the first floor. And those, and that's what I mean by amenities. It could, it could be also known as layout, mm-hmm. you know, or a floor plan. But I think that um, amenities are pretty broad and, you know, you should have the checklist like you're saying and have those boxes and say, hey, what is truly, and it's not something that comes to mind right off the bat. Yeah. What comes to mind right off the bat is, is all the things that you think you want. What's hard is is actually putting them on a piece of paper. I'm very visual, so I have to put things on a piece of paper and organizing them and sorting them collaboratively. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know together that it's important for um, you guys to agree that you want a two car garage, or it's important together that you agree that you wanted a big kitchen, or it's important together. And and a lot of those things, you know, you could say, hey, it doesn't have that, so we can go get it. And if we have the budget for it, then you can go and add the two car garage or add the you know, larger kitchen or things like that, you know, break down a wall here and there. And when you have a good agent or good folks behind you and, you know, supporting you, you know, those types of, of scenarios can come a lot easier and your level of stress can obviously go way down. Mm -hmm. So one location, two amenities, what do you think of three? The structure of the home. I mean, my assumption is, is people will get a good idea as far as the structure and the mechanicals. And what I mean by mechanicals, it's your heating and air, it's your plumbing, your electrical and then some homes in in the tampa area have gas and then a lot of folks include like low voltage and what i mean by low voltage is 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 um you know anything that's uh, speakers or you know audio video and things of that nature so your mechanicals are very important it's second to um you know your structure so somebody may say hey uh if you buy this home it's a great structure but it's um, built in a floodplain and you're built below, you know, FEMA guidelines. So that's part of your structure problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just need to know that there's going to be three to four, five, six, seven, eight thousand dollars in flood flood insurance. You know, so so those are the things. Or you may say, hey, I don't want to live in a wood house. Um, Which a lot wanna... of people are saying that after Irma. <laughs> saying like, yeah. what am I doing in this wood house? Yeah. I need concrete block. <laughs> yeah. So number four. Number four. God. Um, I think the, you know, neighborhood would be in the location, but number four would be sort of the outside amenities, I would say, mm-hmm. you know, but, but I think you can always buy them. You know, if you, if you don't have a pool, you know, a lot of times there is a pool there and it's not the size that you want or not yeah. the configuration. Or sometimes you find a house, there is a pool and you really don't want a pool. Yeah. If you have little ones, my wife and I, when we had our first kid, we didn't want a pool. Yeah. Um, just because it was just going to be too much anxiety. Potentially the kid would drown and things Mm -hmm. like that. So, yeah, I was thinking about that. I mean, there's always that constant conversation pool or no pool when it comes to uh, your backyard. What is the value there? I mean, is there any value there? I mean, you hear people around town saying it doesn't, uh, up your resale at any at all. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you price out a pool, I mean, it's really, uh, different compartments. So it's the pool itself and all the equipment and the, and the, you know, technology that runs that equipment. So that can run as low as 25 K 
you know, but then you have to do the surround. So it's all your pavers or your cool deck or whatever you plan on doing. And that can run another 10, 15. And then if you start throwing in outdoor kitchens and tying in with this, that, or the other and running, even running wires and, and plumbing and, and electrical for an outdoor kitchen is expensive, you know, just to say, okay, I may want to do it when I have the money, you know, let's run those wires and things like that. And then you're replacing all of your, you know, your, your, um, irrigation, you know, you're reworking all that stuff. So typically a pool spend is going to be you know, 50 plus. Yeah. Right. You know, so once you get all those categories, you know, completed and good pool companies will offer, you know, levels of service that'll accommodate all of those things. Um, when you get that home appraised, that fifty, sixty thousand dollar pool is going to be appraised at like twenty. Yeah. Um, when you just when you sell it, yeah. so it's one of those things where, you know, it's just not the best spend. But if yeah. you want the darn pool, then get the pool. Yeah. You know, if absolutely. you have the money to do it, get the pool. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned uh, on the, on this program before and and infrequently about uh, um, renovating and, and you know maybe just investing in your house instead of moving or tearing down maybe look to renovate maybe look to uh, uh, you know build with it I had somebody tell me the other day he said you you can never lose money on your house if you invest in your house meaning changing the kitchen getting granite countertops whatever well, it might false. be you could do I was gonna say wrong. I was like I was like well <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna file that in the back of my mind and then I'm gonna talk to James Ramos about that because he's going to know if that's accurate or not. Because that was just, I was kind of like, that does not sound too accurate. So, what do you say when you hear someone? What do you think when you hear somebody say that? Well, first off, you could renovate on a home that doesn't, you know, just because it's affordable for you to fix that bathroom or fix the kitchen, and there's major problems in the rest of the house, it's probably not a good spend. Meaning that that next buyer may not see the value in that. And it was just a waste of your, well, it was, it was actually a feature that you wanted to accommodate your living. Um, and you're probably not going to get your value out of it because the home is worth the lot value. Mm -hmm. So, so not always, you know, I'll give you an example. So let's say you go in a home and there's seven foot ceilings, right? Not many people want a very low ceiling home. And if you start doing all these renovations and additions and things and the ceilings stay at seven feet, there's a large market of people that are not going to want to buy your house just because of the ceilings. Yeah. So you've spent, you know, money in something that you're not going to get it out. Yeah. Or, or at least you're going to have a lot less people that are going to want to buy it yeah. when you decide to sell it, which is value. Yeah. So ceilings, low ceilings are a big deal in your estimation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, low ceilings are, you know, depending on the type of house, but low ceilings are a big determinant. You know, people want to have higher ceilings. I mean, I like to, I like to just go at as high as 10 feet when we're building new homes. You know, people are like, oh no, I want, you know, 14, 15 feet. And I'm like, have you ever changed a light bulb? <laughs> you know, with a 10 foot ceiling, you're like three quarters of the way up um, on a six foot ladder. It's scary. Yeah. You know, so 10 foot ceilings are great. Um, a lot of homes that were built in the late seventies um, that you would see in North Tampa, Carrollwood and Tampa Palms and stuff, the ceilings were 18, 20 feet, you know, crazy height and it just you know, just a little awkward, yeah. you know, unless you have a huge lot. Um, but you don't really see that much in South Tampa and a lot of the older neighborhoods as much, but, but um, ceiling height. And then, and then let's just say wiring, your wiring is, is old and you're going out and changing the plates and the switches to make the, you know, to make it look upgraded and your wiring is still old mm -hmm. and it doesn't really work well. And your panel box is, you know, you can't even tell one breaker from another yeah. and it's not listed and it's older, you know, you know, doing all this work to make the house look pretty is not going to really change the course of 
what the value is. Yeah. I think they call that lipstick on a pig, right? You got it. <laughs> lipstick on a pig. Yeah. So, you know, as, as people move forward uh, with this real estate market, I mean, a lot of people, you know, this is the issue they find. Seller's market, but then they, they could sell their house, make a good deal of money on it, but then they can't afford any other house because it's a seller's market. Uh, when someone's in that dilemma, how do you approach that? Say that again. So, it, it, okay, it, 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 it's a seller's market, right? And, and so people are willing to pay more or over what your house is probably valued at. But that means that once you sell your house, you got to move into a new house, which means it's not a buyer's market. Now you've shifted from being a seller to a buyer. And now all of a sudden you can't figure out where to move to because you can't afford anything. Uh, that uh, now that you've been now that you've sell, sold your house, well, that's a major problem. I mean, the biggest the biggest issue is the fact that there it's leading to our inventory shortage. Yeah, because a lot of times, you know, an age a client will call an agent and say, "Hey, I would really like to sell my home. Can you find me something? At least I may not be ready to buy it, but can I? Can you send me some listings that I could feel comfortable before I put my home on the market that I would like to buy?" Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, which is a good course of action, and it's a good recommendation for all sellers to do, unless they're moving out of the state, they should go do it, you know, where they're moving. But, but if you're selling something and you're going to live, you know, in the same area, you definitely need to know what it is you're going to get into. Yeah, it's better for number one for you to value your current home, and number two, it's it's peace of mind for you to know where you're going to move into. But um, not all the time, you know, people are just like, oh, I'm just going to downsize and, you know, I can open up my neighborhood to North Tampa and South Tampa. It's mostly, you know, I'm going to downsize or I'm going to upsize and I want to still kind of be, you know, in this little area that I really love. Yeah. And it's hard, you know, because it's a limited amount of inventory and, you know, the agents out there may not get the listing Yeah. because they're like, oh, my God, I got to find something that I can't really make an offer on for this client before he'll even list the current home that he has. Yeah. So it's a catch 22. Yeah. You know, but definitely, you know, the more education that you get, the more understanding of the market, you know, you're, it's going to open up doors. The more, you know, the more, you know, yeah, absolutely. will open up doors. Absolutely. will open up doors. You're listening to move me program with James Ramos of Ramos design and build. Uh, coming up next, Joran Jenkins of Open Palm uh, uh, Law Firm here in Tampa. She's going to be talking about uh, divorce, real estate, all of these things that come into play. And if you're thinking Very about interesting stuff, yeah, yeah. If you're thinking about getting divorced, you, you know, most people can't afford to get divorced. You might want to listen to Joran because Joran knows everything that there is about divorce, your house, your real estate, whatever it might be. Move the program continues. Back here, my name is James Ramos with Move With Me Radio. I'm here excited to speak with Jorn Jenkins. Jorn is an attorney here in Tampa, Florida. Her law firm is Open Palm Law. It's openpalmlaw.com. Nice to see you, Jorn. Thanks so much for having me on. So tell us about what you do, because it's a little bit different than the show, you know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know real yeah. estate and construction <laughs> and finance. I know. And I was like, hmm, why do you want? Oh, I know why you want me. Here. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. So um, I the work that I do is primarily divorce work um, and divorce related work. So um, anything that has to do with taking care of your family in a dissolution type situation or um, maybe a paternity case, something like that. The reason it's interesting to be talking to you is because um, in divorce, 
Well, let's start with the concept that divorce is probably the worst thing that will ever happen to you until you die. Um, and, uh, and divorce actually is a death. You know, they talk about the, um, the most stressful events that can happen in your life and way up there is the death of a loved one and there's moving out of your home and there's Christmas. Christmas is way up there, believe it or not. Right. Um, but Changing divorce, a job. Oh my maybe. gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But divorce, divorce is a biggie. And a lot of people just think, okay, divorce. But let's talk about that for a second. Divorce is the death of your most important relationship. Right. Right? And it's the death, if you will, of your spouse, except he's still walking around, maybe thumbing his nose at you. So it's even worse. He's not six feet under. You can't, you know, put flowers on his grave and walk away and, mm-hmm. you know, get a new life. He's always out there. Right. And maybe he's co-parenting your children. Right. So it's a really stressful, stressful situation. And then on top of that, most of the time you're moving because, you know, you think, okay, number one, 50% of the time someone's moving out of the house, right? But these days, come on, two people can live a lot better than one person by himself or herself, a lot higher quality, let's say. And so the second person is probably going to have to move out of that home too because they probably can't afford it. So you've got people moving because of divorce and you've got lawyers who aren't necessarily setting them that their clients up to um, move appropriately, if you will. They're busy getting their clients divorced. That's what they're doing. They're not focused on how can I get this guy into a house that he can afford after he's divorced and maybe still pay child support. So when do the clients come and find you at what process? I mean, do you find them just in the first part of getting divorce or well, that's after a, that's multi, a, multiple that's a years of problems? That's a fascinating question. That's a really insightful question because you never know when what they're going to come to you. Yeah. Um, Are there I, stages? Oh, I mean, yeah. You, oh, yeah. I mean, you've got the whole grief process. Right. The same, yeah, that everyone knows about, you know. Um, but, uh, but I get people... Um, at the very, very first part of their divorce. I've had people come to me, I'll tell you, I can tell you of three specific occasions where I've saved a marriage because I had someone come to see me. They wanted to know what, oh no, I'm sorry, it's four. Um, they want, just wanted to chat about what divorce might look like. Sometimes it's a lawyer um, who knows that, right. you know, I won't share with anybody. Right. Um, and or they, they just, just want to lock you down. What's it going to, well, there's always, there's always that possibility, <laughs> but no, no, I'm talking, let's have lunch. That's what I do. I just give retainers out to uh, all the good yeah, divorce yeah, yeah. attorneys so, in so, Tampa. So they can't represent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'll have lunch with somebody and, and I've had actual consultations come in right. and they want to talk, what will divorce look like for me? And I'll have that conversation and then I'll also, also ask them, have you been to a marriage counselor? Have you talked to a marriage? Well, yeah, but she, she didn't understand me or, you know, right. I'll give them some names. And they've gone and they've reported back that they're trying again and it's been years and I haven't heard from them. So, you know, I, I get them really at the beginning. I get them at the end. I get them, I, you know, mentioned earlier that I just settled a case. My office settled at 3 a.m. this morning with a guy who was sent to me by a lawyer here in town who tried very hard to settle his case. In fact, this lawyer only does settlement work. He won't go to trial. Right. And he handed him off to me and said, you know, this case can't be settled. We settled it. So I and get then I would imagine all the, I mean, pretty much every or most of them um, happen to have real estate involved. Many, many, many. do. Yes. 
Yes. And that's and that's not a most liquid people who asset. Don't, so it's not like you just go into your checking account own, and split. Most people who don't own their house can't afford to get a lawyer. Right. Right. So mm-hmm. those people are representing themselves. 60 to 65% of the people getting divorced are representing themselves. And a lot of them are screwing it up. I get those when they realize it's too late, they've screwed it up. Can you do anything about this? And then we, we try and, so that's post-divorce mm-hmm. work, which is, you know, we do that right. too. Um, but yeah, yeah. What I'm confused about is, is you know, you, you, you hear about a couple that have children, they're getting a divorce, yet they want to live in the house. Is there some rule that says, oh, you know, the husband or the wife don't move out because you potentially no could, there's no rule, right? No rule. So if you're, if you're not happy, people, why are you in the same, you know, oh 3,000 so, square foot home? It's you know, so it's like funny you're that two you rats in a cage. Ask this like, because I just, part. I just had this conversation with one of my associate attorneys because she had a different point of view. And um, we constantly get the question, am I abandoning my house if I move out? I can't stand living there. And the answer is no, you're not abandoning your right to own the home. Um, you are setting yourself up to not be able to move back into the home. Oh, wow. But, okay. So that's. But, but there's something to be said. I had a couple who. Um, so that's important, though. Yes, I mean, it if they're is. setting themselves up to. But if they know they that they're have, not going to have the home. But right. If they've you know, decided. Then, right. If they've decided that they can't afford to stay in the home and neither can, let's say, their wife. Right. Then they move out first. They find a condo. They get themselves set up. That's kind of a smart thing to do. They may not be able to afford to be in the condo at the same time as still paying for the house or helping to pay for the house. Mm-hmm. And sometimes what you'll see is two people stay in the house. I saw this a lot in 2009. They both stayed in the house and they waited to get divorced because they couldn't afford to get divorced. They couldn't afford to pay the mortgage. Yeah, that's crazy. And a, what's the movie called? War of the Roses? Yeah. Where they, were, right. they just completely tore the right. house up. Right. Not good. But in this case, yeah. you know, it's they're they're going bankrupt. And by the way, maybe they want to file bankruptcy together. They go see, a, if they're smart, they go see a bankruptcy lawyer. They, they remain amicable enough to do that so they can file together and get that taken care of. Um, yeah, so, you know, it well, makes In our brokerage, we do over, you know, 1,500 transactions a year. And, and I know that we probably have 20, 25, you know, cases where, where we'll help a client. And, you know, the stigma is, is you know, typically that agent, real estate agent who gets their client, you know, you know, as you're parting ways, you know, you're all vying for friends and professionals and things like that. So the one, you know, it's just not a <laughs> did happy. Did you really say that? You did. You yeah. did. And you're I right. Mean, so, so the first person she was is my like friend called. first. Yeah, she was, she my, was friend my friend first. first. So, so she's working with the agent or he is working with the agent and they're like, oh my God, you know, I'm friends right. with both of them right. and I got to go through this mess and right. we don't even know who's going to sign. You know, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's not a positive, you know, typically when you get a client, you know, that you're listing their home or, well, this is or why helping them buy, it's an exciting time. Sometimes my referrals come from realtors because I they bet, know. Because they can't get through anything. Right. You know, typical and paperwork. If I can get if I can get these people into a situation where they can talk to each other and communicate again, a lot of times they've just closed their ears to each other. I had a, a divorce that I did collaboratively, which is a, a specialized That's your specialty, of, right? Yeah, it's a special way yeah. of handling it. And what you does that a, mean? When you say collaboratively, I mean, everybody walks into a room, they hold hands, and they hug know, and kiss each you other? Know, that's, 
<laughs> yeah, kind of, sort of. Sort of. No, so... Uh, you make them the, kiss? The, like my dad used to make us kiss. I have the, four older brothers when we would fight. I can't believe you're telling me this. He would say, hey, before you, before you walk this. out of this oh room, my God. you're going to hug your brother can and I kiss get, your little brother. Can I get this, can I get this audio on... Uh, yeah, I've got to have it's this It's documented, recorded. trust me. It. No, um, so it's a team approach. Right. So here's the deal. Most of the time you're getting divorced, you declare war. And, and that's why my book is called, my first book is called War or Peace. You have a choice. Right. You're either going to declare war or you're going to try and work with each other. So the collaborative approach starts with the idea that the lawyers sign an agreement that they will not go to court. That kind of takes away their incentive to stir the pot. It kind of makes them, their only goal is to help these people come to a resolution that they can agree on. So hold on a sec. Let me, let me interrupt you. So you sign a document. It's a legal binding document, which correct. means you do not go to court. You That's cannot correct. go to court, That's period, correct. end of story. And if so someone- So who's the judge? Is nobody, it a mediator? Nobody. Oh, no so, judge. So no you've judge. accepted the collaborative? Yeah, see, so the it doesn't whole, mean that it's going to be easy peasy from that way no, out? No, it does not. Okay. But the whole point is- these people craft their own resolution. And because of that, they can craft resolutions that a judge can't even order. So in Florida, a judge can't order someone to pay for college. Got it. But in, in a meeting, they can agree that dad's going to pay for college. He wants his kids to go to college. He wants them to go to good colleges, and he has the money to do that. And that can go into their marital settlement agreement. But the idea is that this team approach sometimes includes a facilitator, so no judge, but maybe a facilitator who has mental health background. Maybe it's a licensed mental health counselor. Maybe it's a family counselor. Um, we also include financial neutrals. Sometimes there's a realtor at the table. So all these people help the team find the solution to the problem. The problem is, how do I divorce you without killing you? Yeah, so I mean, at some point, they've been logical enough to actually sign that document. Well, great. I'm, I can't wait to get back after these messages. This is James Ramos. I'm here with Jorn Jenkins from Open Palm Law. We'll be back after these messages. Hi, we're back. This is James Ramos with Move With Me Radio. We're here with Jorn Jenkins. Jorn is a lawyer here in Tampa, and we were just talking about the collective effort, collaborative law. Yeah. And one of the things that I thought was interesting is is that we were talking about um, all the people behind you, in essence. So you're right. the, you're kind of like the team captain. Team. Yeah. And there's you know financial folks involved. There's potentially a real estate agent, mortgage. Whoever needs mortgage to be, agents. you might have a vocational uh, evaluation yeah. person to help the wife find the job of her dreams that she never thought she'd get. I mean, do you ever have a situation where the one one or the other spouse to say, hey, I want this house. And it's like oh, yeah. hands down. Oh my gosh. Well, and this is the thing. In so many divorces, especially in litigation, I have a client who says, I want the house. I want the house. I just, I want so the just house. So just irrational. And I try, can, they, can they afford it? I try to convince them not, can't right. afford it. What you really want is a place where your kids are in a good school system right. or you're in your old neighborhood or you know you want security. Um, and I can't convince them. Well, and they're upset because they could have afforded it with well, their husband or they may have right. taken a, the back they're, seat. They're or, in so much stress right, right. or distress. They can't mm -hmm. think clearly. And they'll come back to me years later because I take my old clients to lunch every once in a while. I do. 
we say friends and they'll tell me, Jordan, you were right. You know, I had to sell the house and I, I, I took a loss on it. It was just not a smart decision. I wish, I, I wish I'd listened to you. Thank God they remember that I told them, you don't want the house. What you want is this, 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 and this. And we can get you that a different way. You don't have to have that house. You can have something I mean, what's similar. fascinating is the start of this process. You've, they've both obviously had some level of, of logic where right. they signed a document right. that basically says, hey, you're not going to court. Right. And I, well, now I, see, they can always change their mind that's the thing oh, the lawyers change their the mind. lawyers okay. can't they can always say i'm done this with this working. Okay. She, it's not working she's not listening or whatever they throw in the towel their lawyers find them new lawyers who so are, what's the who, cost versus like what would be an average cost for an average, collaborative divorce now, see, now, versus, I'm, now i'm going to scare you because the the real question is what's the average cost for a litigated case okay and litigated cases will cost the spouse, one spouse, 50 to 100 and upwards. Wow. Uh, who pays for it? The, Which one? Initially, Is that the negotiated spouse, as well? Initially, the spouse who signed the contract with the lawyer pays the lawyer. That but doesn't the other spouse need a lawyer? They both need lawyers. They both pay their lawyers. So okay. when I so say, when you say 50, 50 to 100, this is... Per spouse. I can tell you that I've done research on my own cases, my own collaborative cases, and they'll run all told for the whole team, 32 to 42,000. Total. And people, so when people say how much does a collaborative case cost, and I say 32 to 42,000, they gasp. I can't afford that for a divorce. I'll do it myself. Well, if you do it yourself, it'll be a lot cheaper. Yes. And if you go to mediation, it, it may run as little as three or $5,000. Right. If all you don't have lawyers, you just have one mediator and you can do that. But they, those processes are all adversarial. You're all, you know, you're fighting against each other, wife against husband or wife against wife or husband against husband, whatever it is, you're fighting each other. In collaborative, it's a team effort to solve the problem. And that that's a whole different approach. So what would you advise a real estate agent, for example, if they were the first to call? Say, hey, you know. I'd say miss- get, them, get them both over here so I can talk to them. Okay. And the realtor will go, wait, you can't talk to both of them, can you? And I say, yes, I can. Because all I'm going to talk to them about is processes, different approaches to your divorce, I'm not giving them legal advice. I'm talking to them about sitting at your kitchen table and working it out yourselves. I'm talking about forms that you can get at the courthouse and fill them out yourself. I'm talking about going to a mediator. I'm a mediator. Go to a mediator and hash it out with with one mediator. Or maybe you hire two lawyers who just send a marital settlement agreement back and forth and negotiate that out. I mean, would you recommend the agents as soon as they know that there's there's a divorce happening that both have to sign? Because right now, let's say if I wanted or you wanted to um, sign and list your home, you know, one of the people on the deed can sign and list their home. It doesn't mean that my wife agrees with me. Get them both to sign and then get them into a mortgage lender right away. Right away. A mortgage lender who can talk to them before they are divorced and have their own single incomes when they still have both their incomes to talk about and before they've spent all the attorney's fees that they're going to spend if they're in litigation. And, you know, so a mortgage lender who gets in there early can really help them plan so that they can buy a new home, each of them. Maybe the new home is a heck of a lot smaller. Maybe it's a two-bedroom townhouse instead of a four-bedroom mansion. If they each can own after the divorce and that's their goal, then do it early. Don't get divorced and then do it because then it's too late. Well, tell me a story. I was going to say, tell me your best case story, but I think it would be more interesting to tell me your most horror well, story no, of no, no, what you could do no. wrong. Oh my gosh. I, there are a million, you know, I've been practicing for 37 years, so come you on. Look, but I, I'll tell you one story that I started to tell you earlier. So you asked about, can you 
quote, abandon your home? Can you move out? Is that a good idea? And I say, yes, it is a good idea if you cannot live together while you're getting divorced. And remember, if you're in litigation, it's war. And how are you going to live with the enemy? That's hard. Uh, In collaboration, you can, but not in litigation. But I had a case in litigation where um, the couple filed before uh, they anyone moved out and the judge wouldn't let them move out. They were renting and they lived in the house for three years while they were at war. And my client went bonkers. She the stress forced her. She ended up in the nuthouse. Oh, wow. I yeah. know it sounds terrible, yeah. but that's exactly what happened. And why would the judge demand that? Was it a financial? He felt that they didn't have enough money to exactly oh, afford yeah, afford to. And he was worried that the kids would not see their dad. Their dad was a doctor. She was a nurse. And he thought that, you know, they, they wouldn't see enough of their dad if they moved out of the house. And yeah, so. So will you refer out people? I mean, do you tend to get people that they don't have the professionals that they should have, like a real estate agent, oh, a yeah. mortgage? Oh my gosh, so yes. Do they come to you more than less without these professionals yes, that they need? Yes. And then you'll start and I refer saying, them okay, to a realtor, what are you guys going right. to do with your home? Right. That's have right. Have you selected a realtor? That's right. And, you know, as and, far as your mortgage and your credit. You know, the problem I, is if we're in litigation, which most people end up in litigation, nobody wants to be on the cutting edge. People are afraid to be, uh, you know, Malcolm Gladwell talked about it in Tipping Point. People, most people do not want to be the trendsetters. And collaborative is a new trend. Um, so most people want to stick some with, pioneers conquer and some pioneers get right. get arrows in their back. That's exactly right. You so want to be the one that gets an arrow. So a lot of my clients go courtless, but they don't go collaborative. They'll go to mediation. They'll go, let's just negotiate this out. The one that I was doing last night was uh, it ended up being courtless, but litigation was hanging over their heads. We had trial scheduled at the end of November, but they still settled it which I'm very happy about and they're very happy about too. I will refer, if I have one client, I will try to refer that client to a realtor and I will suggest sit down with your wife, sit down with your husband, try and work these things out together. You'll be a lot better off. Hire the same realtor. He needs to be working towards both of your goals and he needs to understand what your goals are. Well, so what are the stats today? Divorce? Yeah. 50% of first marriages end in divorce. 67% of 67% of second marriages end in divorce, 74% of third marriages end in divorce. And here's my rationale for that. I think that people get divorced more when they've been divorced once already because that's all they know. They don't understand problem solving. They don't understand working it out. I mean, do you think that it's, you know, I know this is going to sound funny, but like genetic or hereditary or what? No, I I know it's it's obviously a learned behavior, but I remember, you know, my, my parents were like, oh, you know, so-and-so one of my brothers are dating this person and then you know their family's divorced and god help our kid you know people he's gonna end learn, up in a divorce people and don't learn like anything when they go to court except how to go to court how to put the decisions in some third party's hands if they do it collaboratively they come out of their divorce and they say i became a better person during my divorce they say i learned to listen to my husband again because it sounds different when someone else in the room says the same thing that he said and so they do learn to problem solve with each other. And I think that they take those learnings, that education into their new relationships. I, I think that if you get divorced collaboratively, you won't get divorced a second time. Yeah, that's pretty fascinating. I mean, I do have you know friends and, and folks that I know that have had parents that have gotten a divorce and it actually was a collaborative thing where their parents are actually right. friends, yep. friends of friends. Yep. And, 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 um, you know, and that's, that's, that's beautiful. Um, because they were. Uh, well, I had the other uh, kind know, when I was logic seven, enough to know that it's the right thing to when do. When I was for their seven, children. my parents got divorced, and I never saw my father again. Wow. Yeah. And that happens a lot. Yeah. 
that's not good. No. But I mean, when you think about that and then you've had the collaborative divorce and then those, uh, that offspring sees that, Hey, it's okay to get divorced. Or do you, do you don't think that, you know, I, back of I, mind, you're I like, don't, I'm, you know, I'm not a psychological expert, but I would say that what that collaborative offspring sees is his parents working together. Right. Continually, even after the divorce. And that's, what's important for that child. So as far as the real estate world, um, we would love your referrals, number one. No kidding. <laughs> you got it. And um, I think that the service that you I provide. I got to get you trained in collaborative divorce. Yeah. Well, we have a lot of agents that, um, you know, by by the act of uh, force, they had to learn a little bit. Yeah. Who's yeah. to know if they're, if, <laughs> yeah. they're, if they're great at it or not. But we would love to have you come and speak. I'd love to do but that. But Jorn, I appreciate your time. Um, I'm here with uh, Jorn Jenkins from Open Palm Law. Uh, she's an attorney, been around 37 years. She doesn't look like it, though, um, in Tampa. <laughs> and we were talking earlier. She started with EJ Salcinas. He's a friend. He was a friend of my father, my, my late father, um, you know, a big Tampa man. And um, I appreciate your time. This is James Ramos with the Move With Me radio show. Thank you, Jorn. Thank you so appreciate much. Appreciate your time. And we'll be back next week. Take care. Thanks for joining us today. If you missed all of the program or want to hear it again, listen to the podcast on jamesramos.com or on YouTube at Ramos Media Network. See you next week with Ramos Design Build, Tampa Bay's premier real estate design, build, and construction company. Homes are built to bring people together. It's the place that families gather to create memories that last a lifetime. With that in mind, you want a builder who requires a design to reflect your expectations. Ramos Design Build is that company. They understand this concept, offer a concierge level of service, ensuring that you are involved in every step of the design build process. Ramos Design Build integrates the latest in construction technology, building you a home that will last for generations. Ramos has a portfolio of satisfied clients from its decades of service in the Tampa Bay community. If you are looking for a luxury remodel, a home renovation, or a custom home built from the ground up, contact Ramos Design Build at RamosDesignBuild.com. That's RamosDesignBuild.com. Hi, my name is James Ramos. I am a licensed general contractor at Ramos Design Build. When someone asks why I do what I do, I am proud to say that I help bring families back to the table. And when you partner with Ramos, we make your family's home dreams a reality. Ramos Design Build, construction, development, and renovation. A legacy since 1956.